Well, as you heard in the notices, uh, Easter weekend is coming. And hopefully, um, as you would do throughout the year, you are reading the scriptures and perhaps particularly um, at this time, you are slowing down and reading more of the Gospels, perhaps, and looking at those final chapters where we look at the death and crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Each year it's a privilege as a pastor to have to prepare messages ready for the Easter weekend. And I find that as I do that, you come back to the same four passages each year. And if I'm honest, and perhaps you can understand this, sometimes when I come to the word, there is a, there is a familiarity, an over-familiarity. And sometimes when I read the scriptures, I know the words that are going to come. Most of them by now, we, we know those passages so well. We know what's going to come. And, and within those passages, there are special gems. There are verses and phrases and words which perhaps the Lord has spoken to us through in years gone past, which are now special and precious to us. And one of the things that happens in doing that is that we can go and end up missing some of the great aspects of the text, which are there in plain sight, but we miss them completely. And for me, one such passage is John chapter 19 that we read earlier on. You see, John chapter 19, in my opinion, has one of the greatest cries from the cross, doesn't it? It is finished. What a wonderful declaration. How many times in my own personal life, when I've struggled with guilt or with shame, have I gone to those words, Jonathan, it is finished. How many times in pastoral ministry and counselling others, when they've come to me, wondering whether Jesus is enough, wondering whether they can go to heaven, I can take them to those words, it is finished. And I'm sure many of you now are going, Jonathan, preach on those words. It is finished. They are wonderful. But one of the things that happens in John chapter 19 is because we know those words are coming, we look for those words. And I think because of that, there is something that happens just before it that we skip over, that we glaze over. There's a sense in which every year, uh, every week, but every year, we want to come to the gospel afresh. We want to the, come to the cross afresh and say, I want to know the gospel now. I don't just want historic feelings to look back at how the Lord has blessed and spoken to me. I want the Lord to speak and bless me now. And I pray this evening that as we look at John chapter 19, we might focus on something that you may not have focused on before. And it's that little phrase, actually in the Greek, it's only one word, the fifth saying from the cross, which is, I thirst, I thirst. What is your perception of that sentence, that word, I thirst? If I'm honest, for years, I skipped over it. I skipped over it looking for that great statement, it is finished. But brothers and sisters, without I thirst, you can't get to it is finished. It's important. It's integral. The great uh, preacher Spurgeon um, said that we often use the phrase uh, short and sweet. 
but that this cry from the cross is short and bitter. And whilst it is a short and bitter cry, I trust that this evening it will become sweet to us. Let's pray again as we come to it. Father, we pray this evening that as we come to this phrase, Father, I pray that we would know the sweetness of the gospel. Father, whilst we're not in a room together, Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work, quickening the heart. Father, we pray this evening for an illumination of our minds and hearts. Father, we pray this evening for a moment of significance as we hear your voice. For those who don't know you, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And Father, for those who do know you, I pray that you would draw them closer to yourself. Also, Father, would we not go through the motions now? Father, would this camera and physical distance not change anything now? Our gracious Heavenly Father, would your spirit be at work now, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You know the context of this reading, of this I thirst. You, you know what has happened. The Lord Jesus, by this point, has been on the cross for six hours, having been beaten through the night. He's gone through unbelievable pain. The pain that Jesus went through and those who were crucified was so extreme that a word was invented to describe it, excruciating. His back had been ripped to shreds, exposing muscles, sinews and even his bowels. He'd been nailed to a cross of wood, two nails going through his median nerve. And he'd been left to hang, to drown in his own blood. Yet three hours into that horrendous experience, a darkness descends in the midday when there should be no darkness. And what is happening in the midst of that darkness? Well, the fourth saying from the cross tells us what it is. The Lord Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who had always called God Abba, Father, now calls him God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the beloved son of the father, was now separated by judgment. For those three hours, he who knew no sin had become sin. He was bearing our sins on the cross, becoming a curse. Jesus was literally experiencing hell on the cross. All of the punishment that would take an eternity for us to bear, all the, the punishment that we deserve would take an eternity to bear in hell, was concentrated into a moment on one man. All of the sins of all the believers of the world concentrated onto one man in one three hour moment. The pain, spiritually, the punishment must have been excruciating. The spiritual was far worse than the physical. 
No wonder when Jesus was in the garden and he looked at the cross, he sweat blood. If you look at verse 28, you can see what happens. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Having paid the price for sin, he's pre preparing to proclaim it is finished. I want to focus on this uh, word, I thirst, and I want to tell you uh, five things, five things that I think I thirst teaches us about the Lord Jesus. Five ways I think that if we grasp this, it will take this short and bitter statement and make it sweet for us in the gospel. And I trust will bless us. The first thing it shows us is the humanity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. We must never forget this. We must never think of Jesus when he was on earth as a kind of superman, a superhero. That is someone who comes and is God, just kind of, just kind of with a, a kind of human look, a human costume. Really, he was just fully divine and that's it. And so any problems, well, it only looked like he was struggling because in the end, he wasn't really one of us. No, no. The scripture says he was, yes, fully God, but he was also fully man. He was fully human. And we need to remember that that means that the Lord Jesus experienced real pain. He had real struggles. He was a genuine human being. He truly was born. He truly had to learn to speak and walk. He truly felt rejection. He knew all of these things. The suffering of the Lord Jesus, including his physical suffering on the cross, was not illusion or pretense. It was real. However, because he was the spirit-filled man, the Lord Jesus on whom the Spirit had come and the one who did not sin, that meant that when he came under pressure, actually the Lord Jesus, it's not that he felt less, it's actually the fact that he now felt more. Why? Because Jesus could take more. He could take more. See, if you think of a, of a bridge, take a bridge, you've got a uh, Three different bridges. One bridge can have a maximum limit of five tons. Another bridge can have a maximum limit of 20 tons. And another bridge can have an unlimited uh, kind of weight limit. Which one feels the most pressure? Well, you would think the one with the five ton limit. Surely that feels the most pressure. Well, no, because after a five or a six ton track goes over it, the bridge is gone. So is it the 20 ton bridge? Well, no, because even though it has more weight than the five ton and therefore can feel more pressure, pressure up to 20 tons, it still has a breaking point where it no longer has that pressure. But the bridge without a weight limit that can take any weight doesn't mean that the pressure isn't there. It means that it can bear the pressure. We need to understand that the Lord Jesus in taking on the sin, in taking on all of those temptations and pressures. Actually, it wasn't that he felt it less. It's that he was able to feel it more. That's why we have, as Hebrews tells us, a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us all in our weaknesses. And all of us, 
because he has experienced so much more than us as a real human being. It's amazing to think that God became man, one of us. And he was able to be nailed to a cross. It's amazing that God, the creator of the universe, the one who could hold the oceans in his hand, could thirst. How could the one who held the oceans in his hand thirst? What about the one who invented water, whose idea it was to have H2O? And then he needed it and thirsted. We see here an amazing humanity. One of the things that blows my mind about our Christian faith and what the Bible reveals to us is that God truly became human. The creator stepped into creation. And whilst he was fully God, he was fully man, a real human being. And when he says on the cross, I thirst, we remember the humanity of Jesus. He was one of us. And therefore, on the cross, he could represent us. He could represent us. The only one who could represent humans was a human. The humanity of Christ shows that he could represent us on the cross. So why is he representing us on the cross? Well, secondly, when he says, I thirst, we see the suffering of the Lord, the suffering of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. You see, why did Jesus become one of us? He became one of us to suffer for us. The creator of the universe became one of us to suffer. The one who spoke the oceans into being became thirsty as he suffered for us. The one who could give water out of a rock in the Old Testament needed to ask for water. The one who could scoop the seas into the palm of his hand couldn't reach. He came to suffer, to suffer for us. One of the most tragic scenes when you visit a loved one in a hospice is when they have the little stick with a sponge on the end to have a little bit of water. Once you see that, you know it's not going to be long. The Lord Jesus is suffering. This had been seen in the Old Testament in the reading repeatedly we see this is happening to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. And one of the big Old Testament scriptures that really we see coming alive on the cross is Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 gives us an insight into some of what is happening on the cross. Listen to Psalm 22. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust, to death. Jesus on the cross is suffering for us and we see his suffering in his thirst. But the third thing we see, we see the humanity of Jesus. We see the suffering of Jesus. But when he says, I thirst, we also see thirdly, the obedience of Jesus. 
As I said, this is all happening to fulfill the scriptures. It's an act of obedience to the scriptures. Jesus has grown up learning the scriptures. He knows the scriptures. And so now he is doing what the scriptures said that he would do. A.W. Pink says that it's as if Jesus is checking off the prophecy list as he completes his suffering. But it's more than obedience to scripture. Jesus dying on the cross is being obedient to the father. The father has sent him. It is the will of the father that the son should lay down his life so that he can be a ransom for many. That's why in the garden, the Lord Jesus Christ said, yet not my will, but your will be done. But please don't think of the Lord Jesus at this moment on the cross as someone who is just living out the hand of the blind fate of scripture. Or is a son who is unwillingly at the hand of a father? No, no. The son wasn't just being obedient to the scriptures and to his father, but he was being obedient to himself because he wanted to lay down his life. He wanted to save us. You see, we not only see the obedience of Jesus in this phrase, I thirst, but fourthly, we see the heart of Jesus. The phrase, I thirst, shows us something of the heart of Jesus. When you read through the Gospels, you know the heart of Jesus. What is it? To do the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? To save many. Spurgeon, when he looks at this phrase, has this fascinating paragraph. Let me read it for you. Spurgeon, I think, gets it so right when he says this. I think, beloved friends, that the cry of I thirst was the mystical expression of the desire of his heart. I thirst, I cannot think that natural thirst was all he felt. He thirsted for water, doubtless, but his soul was thirsty in a higher sense. Always was he in harmony with himself and his own body was always expressive of his soul's cravings as well as his own longings. I thirst meant that his heart was thirsting to save men. This thirst had been on him from the earliest of his earthly days. He thirsted to pluck us from between the jaws of hell, to pay our redemption price and set us free from the eternal condemnation which hung over us. What a great insight. Of course, Jesus is always in harmony with himself. When Jesus says, I thirst, this isn't just his physical thirst. This is his heart thirst, what Spurgeon calls his mystical thirst. On the cross, the Lord Jesus was thirsting for me and for you. That was his work. His work was to save us. Why thirst? It's an interesting and a fascinating phrase, isn't it? Why thirst? Well, I think it's because it sums up our problem. It sums up our situation. We are in need of a substitution when it comes to thirst. Now, this is something that I have with you by God's grace explained a couple of times before. Um, when I preached with you um, about half a year ago, we looked at Jeremiah together. Do you remember the passage from Jeremiah? My people have committed two sins. 
They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own systems, broken systems that cannot hold water. And last week, last Sunday evening, we came to look at the way that we deserve a cup of, of wrath. And really, thirst sums up our problem. That is, we have gone to drink of other cisterns, other fountains, broken cisterns. We have gone to have our security and satisfaction. We've gone to have our status in anything and everything except the Lord. You, you see, God has created us to know him and to enjoy him. And really, the life of the, of the true human is to have a life where our status is in Christ. When someone asks us, who are you? I am someone who is loved by God because Jesus has died for me. That is my status. That is my worth. Uh, when we have conversations, if we were to have conversations after this service, we, we can't, unfortunately. But if we were to meet after this service and we were to have a conversation, one of the questions I will always ask you is this. What do you do? What do you do? And you will give me an answer that will determine status. Depending on what you do determines your status. But God wants us to have our status in you. See, biblically, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's greater to do and to serve, but it doesn't affect your status. Your status is in Christ. The other thing that we should put in Christ isn't just our status, but our security. But again, we put our security in all manner of things. And as we said last week, at the moment, our security is being shattered. We put our security in our job and in our savings and our ability to go out. And all of these things have been taken away from us. And the Bible says that God wants us to put our security in God. He is our light and our salvation and our security. That's the reason we shouldn't be afraid or fear, because he is the one who encamps around us and guards us. We should put our security in God, but we don't. We build our own castles. We build our own security and our satisfaction. Our satisfaction be, should be in the Lord. But we put our satisfaction in all manner of other things. Sometimes they are sinful things and sometimes they are good things, God-given things, which we turn into God things, into false idols. We go and we drink of all of the systems. We go and we gulp deeply of the world. I wonder what broken systems you are drinking from. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus earlier in John's gospel met the woman from uh, Samaria, the Samaritan woman? He meets her at a well. And really, she'd been putting her status and security and satisfaction in men. That's what she needed. She needed a man who would give her status and satisfaction and security. And the Lord Jesus saw that. And he goes to her that there's something better because she knew what it was to seemingly have your cup filled and then emptied. And this is what he says. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, God wants to be our fountain of goodness, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The problem is when we drink of other systems, 
when we put our status and our security and our satisfaction in something else. Those drinks are like other drinks. Let me explain. So, for example, no matter what you drink, you'll always be thirsty again. No drink can eternally satisfy. But those false idols aren't just like any drink. They're also like alcohol. The more you drink, the more you want and the more addicted you are. And perhaps this evening you're addicted to status. You've always got to say what you do. You've always got to say what your car is. You're addicted to status. Perhaps you're addicted to security, constantly checking your online banking. You're constantly looking at your pension at the moment you are petrified. Or perhaps you're drinking and addicted to satisfaction, to pornography. You need to realise that those things are addictive. But the third thing, they're not just like any old drink. They're not just like alcohol that makes it addictive. Actually, they're poison. Ultimately, spiritually, they kill us. That's what Jesus came to save us from. To save us from a life where we put our status and satisfaction and our security in ourselves, where we have rejected God. And therefore, now the drink we deserve is the cup of wrath. That's why Jesus came. And he is thirsting for us. He is thirsting for us to be freed from that. He's thirsting for us to pull away from those dirty, broken systems and to come to the fountain of goodness of everlasting life and to know the joy of salvation and the gospel. That's what he's thirsting for. On the cross, the Lord Jesus is thirsting for you and for me. I thirst reveals the heart of the Lord Jesus. He is drinking the cup of wrath that we deserve from all the false idols that we have trusted in, he is drinking them himself. But there's one last thing I think this shows us. I think there's one other thing that I thirst reveals about God. We see his humanity. We see his obedience. We see his sacrifice. But fifthly and finally, we see his sacrifice truly. I think when he says, I thirst, it reveals to us the depth of his sacrifice. Yes, he's thirsting for me and you. But Jesus is thirsting for something else on the cross. There is something on the cross that Jesus is thirsting for that he has never had to thirst for before. Jesus on the cross is thirsting for communion with the Father. Oh, we're in the depths of theology here, of doctrine, of great mysteries, which, although revealed, we only know in part. And so we must tread very carefully, very carefully. But on the cross, the Lord Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he says, I thirst. It would seem to me that the Lord Jesus, although thirsting for physical water, although thirsting to fulfill the scriptures, although thirsting to save you and me, we know anything of the Lord Jesus. He is thirsting for the Father. He is thirsting for communion with his Father. 
brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus on the cross in a way that is beyond our full comprehension. Could not enjoy that communion with the father. The one who was holy, who enjoyed the father, became sin in our place. The one who knew what it was to hear the voice of the father say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. I love him. Listen to him. Now only knew the wrath of God. And in that moment, he thirsted for the father. Again, A.W. Pink, listen to what he says. His thirst was the effect of the agony of his soul in the fierce heat of God's wrath. He was experiencing the fierce heat of God's wrath. Erwin Lutzer says this, Jesus's thirst expressed his yearning to be back in fellowship with the Father after three hours of horrid separation. I don't think we grasp the depth of what is happening at this point. Of when Jesus becomes sin and the darkness descends and the wrath of God is put upon him and he who knew no sin became sin. I don't think we grasp how horrendous, excruciating that was. Yet he did it for you and for me. He did it longing for us and he longed to be with the Father again. He longed to be lifted up, not just to the cross, but then to be exalted to the highest place, to be with the Father once again. One writer says this. Jesus suffered parched lips that we might be able to drink from the wells of salvation. This was all in our place. His sacrifice was our substitution. So that we who have drunk poison could be given eternal life and we could drink deeply of the wells of salvation. That's why the Lord Jesus could make this statement. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I wonder this evening. As you watch this, are you seeking to satisfy yourself with all of the drinks? Are you trusting in your status at the moment? Are you trusting in what you have and the titles that you have? And you think, well, this is who I am. I am okay. It is addictive. And in the end, it will be gone. It'll all be gone. Perhaps you're drinking deeply of security and you're thinking, I'm OK, I can I can handle the next three months. I've got enough in the bank. I've got a good enough family. I'm OK. But, you know, when you die and everybody comes to your funeral, the one question they'll all ask is this. How much do you leave behind? And what will everybody say? Everything. Everything. That security which serves you so well now will not serve you on that day. And perhaps at the moment you're drinking deeply of the wells of satisfaction. You're addicted to Netflix and box sets or improving your body or pornography. 
But in the end, in the end, it will all fade away. It will all go. Tonight, there is an offer. There is an offer for a status that is not based on you, but on another, a perfect one. A status that can never change. And the status is this, son of God, beloved child on whom the father has lavished his love, eternally secure, even in the face of death. That status is on offer for you and security. Well, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No height, no depth, no life, no death, no hair, no angels or demons, nothing can separate you, not even the coronavirus can separate you from his love. There is a security on offer that is better than all of the securities or a satisfaction. A satisfaction that in this world gives you a joy in the face of all trials, but more than that, an eternal joy of bliss in heaven forever. Jesus died on the cross. So that you can give up all of those false idols and you can trust in him and those wells of salvation will bubble up within you. Rivers of salvation will bless you and you will find yourself in him. I wonder, is it God's providence this evening that you are here? Perhaps you were looking for one thing and you found this by accident. Perhaps you never meant to be here. God meant for you to be here. And he is drawing you to himself. Come to me, he says. All who are thirsty. You can come and he will fill you. Oh, and brothers and sisters, for those of us who are Christians, who have gone back to the systems, who have started slowly but surely, through a thousand insignificant decisions, have put our status back in ourselves have put our security back on ourselves, have got into habits of satisfaction that are based on ourselves. You know, you know it is nothing compared to what the Lord has for you. Come back to him. Come back and drink deeply of him and realise that on the cross, he died for you. To give you wells of salvation that will bubble up. Repent. Come back. Trust in him. Well, as we come to a close. It is wonderful to have such an amazing invitation. The Lord Jesus on the cross, when he said, I thirst, was not just describing what was happening. Oh, it was physical and real. But that thirst was a thirst for you and me, so that we may never thirst again. Jesus said, I thirst, so that we can say, I am filled. And I pray that you would know that.